Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? many in the church label the Hebraic Roots movement as heresy or a cult? Is it misunderstanding, or are there core fundamental differences between the church and this movement? Are these misunderstandings and differences irreconcilable? After this, let's talk about the Hebrew Roots movement, and let's talk Torah. For over 25 years, Ezra International has been helping the poorest of the poor Jewish people escape poverty and persecution. In fact, almost 80,000 Jewish people have now returned to Israel with our help. The average cost to rescue one Jewish person is $360. Your gift of just $30 a month over one year can help return a Jewish person to Israel and restore their hope for a better future. Please go to EzraInternational.org and give your best gift today. Ah, Gary, another day and another person calling the Hebrew Roots Movement a cult. <laughs> you know, Kathy, I have to admit, I, you know, it's part of me just laughs. Part of me, part of me, you know, you get, you get a little annoyed. And I just want to, I just want to be transparent with our audience, you know, so I, I want to try to keep it very, very upright because this happens all the time in the Christian world, um, where there's, where there's people who think differently. And, and I, I like your, your approach today. You told me before the program that we're just going to lay out the differences and right. let, let our audience decide. Um, because honestly, um, I, I really had, didn't hear anything new in the argument that was levied against the Torah Roots movement in the, in the podcast you're going to address. Right. We've heard all of this before. So, exactly. And I knew you were going to talk about Exactly. That. You yeah. know, I, I think that that's what I wanted to say. And I also, there are also, there are misunderstandings between mm-hmm. the two groups. Yes. I know that lots of times we get accused of believing certain things that we actually don't believe. That's true. So I did want to clear that up. There are sev- certainly differences between what the standard church theology is and what we believe. We know that's clear. Yes, there, there truly are. And I, but I like, you're right. We, we definitely need to address when someone says we believe something that we don't right. or are doing something that we And that being said, we can't account for everybody in the human roots movement, just like a pastor in a church can't account for everybody sitting in the pews believing like he does. Okay, so uh, there. I'm so what I'm wanting to do today is kind of just back up a little bit and look at what we have identified as maybe key differences in the way that we look at uh, various pieces of theology or Bible verses, you know, the Bible, and just identify the differences. Now what started this was um, I was listening to a podcast called Relatable with Allie Beth Stuckey, and it's it's on the blaze. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were her guests were two guys, I don't even know what their names are, from a podcast called cultish. So if you go to their podcast site, they they each week talk about uh, different movements, different things happening that they've identified as a cult. Okay, now, I'm not um, 
I believe firmly that each one of us probably has an intention to, um, I, I'd say, protect the faith, defend the faith, right? Would that sure. be, okay, defend sure. the faith, okay? Um, and so I don't think that intentions are necessarily bad or evil or anything like that. We just have areas of disagreement. And in some of these areas, they are things that are probably irreconcilable, okay? And some, they might not be. No, that's true. I think there, there might be places we could meet in the middle when we're not misunderstood or right. misquoted. Um, but there are other areas where I believe that we have departed from things that are mainstream Christianity and it would probably be considered irreconcilable right. with most. Right. Uh, but I feel that one of the problems is the, the the lack of understanding of of not only the word of God but the his, history of right. the church. Right. Well, that's true, and that's why we often try to share that. But right. I found as I've listened to some of these other people, even their understanding of history, Gary, is different than our understanding of history. That actually happened in this podcast too, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so there's. You can have, okay, you know this this to be true. There could be a car accident that five people witnessed, and all five of them are going to give a different right. eyewitness account. Right. Um, so I think that some of that plays into yeah. it too. Um, so and I think but I think you addressed it very nicely um, in, in, in I think we did a podcast on it if, I'm, if, if you know you and I have so many conversations <laughs> and you do the the plays during Sukkot and things of that nature so I'm not sure where we address this um, necessarily but the idea of lost in translation and culture you know so much of, of what we view in scripture, uh, what we think is this great exegesis is is missing because I mean it's missing the mark because it's based on the wrong translation or the right. wrong wording. Right. You know, because something it's is come you to would us. think as simple as that, yeah. that that once you get it cleared up, maybe that would fix it. Maybe yes and maybe no. I, right. I don't know. I don't know really. Right. So what I want to do today is I'm going to use some of the things that these guys said on this podcast that I was listening to as kind of jumping off points to help identify what were some of the, what are some of the differences that that I see that we see in the Hebrew roots movement compared to standard Christian theology. And what I wanted to do was start with actually one of uh, one of their conclusions. <laughs> I want to start there. And they said, the Hebrew, that Hebrew roots or the Hebrew roots movement can diminish the power of the gospel. Now, I wanted to start there because we've been talking about the gospel, yes, right? Yeah. So number one, I'd say, I'm not sure anything or anyone can diminish the power of the gospel. Um, you know, that, that in and of itself, the good news is, is extremely powerful. But number two, I think the problem is in the definition of gospel. <laughs> yeah, and we pretty much addressed that we last time. Yes, we sure. did. We talked a couple podcasts ago about what is the gospel. Now, I did not hear these podcasters specifically say, this is what we think the gospel is. But I could infer from their other comments. And 
what I inferred was what they, what I would call a more standard Christian idea of the gospel, that Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected, and that that is the good news or the gospel. And as we identified a couple weeks ago, we identified, those of us in the Hebrew Roots movement, that yes, that's part of part the of. gospel, but, but, and a critical part. It is, and uh, but I think you're making a, a fairly safe assumption because for the most part, the, the gospel is defined that way in throughout Christianity. We just broadened that. Uh, uh, we, we didn't do it. I believe it's it's God's word, but we identified that it's the kingdom, Yes, which, of course, salvation is a part of. Yes. We enter that kingdom. We become king's kids, you know, uh, when, we, when, we, when we experience that, that, that repentance and return to God. And then, then we look at this, what we've become a part of, which is much, much bigger than just our own personal salvation. Yes. So it's not that we disagree, right. okay, with, with what they're saying the gospel is. It's just that our definition is much more expanded yes, than what broader. theirs is. And yes. because it's broader, it, it does end up meaning different things to those of us who believe in this expanded definition. So what Gary was talking about was the idea of kingdom. And in our very last podcast, if you have not listened to it, we did a podcast on kingdom, thy kingdom come. And we were talking about how the gospel message is really as identified in Matthew 4, 17, by uh, that Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Amen. So we believe that the gospel good news message is that the kingdom of heaven is near. And that so so let's look at this. We've got the gospel of the kingdom, okay, is what the Hebrew Roots movement uh, understands, okay, right. as the gospel message. And then we have within the standard Christian church, the gospel of Jesus died for our sins so that we can go to heaven. Right. I think this misunderstanding of gospel is at the heart of one of the main differences between the Hebrew Roots Movement and Orthodox Church teachings. Right? I 100% agree with you. I think this is this is where it starts. And I'd, I'd like to start by by just drilling down on this, this a little bit. When, when Yeshua said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, in the Greek... That word for near is engikon, and in the English, it's, you know, of course, near. Both mean not here yet, okay? Right? It's near, but not quite here yet. But in the Hebrew, the word is karav, and basically karav is it's here. Wow, big so, difference. Big difference. What Yeshua is saying is it's here. I'm here, so it's here. Right? Yes, I'm the king of this kingdom. I'm here. It's a big difference. Right? You got it right here. Yeah. So Christianity is all about getting to heaven. And as we defined in our podcast about kingdom, is the kingdom is here. Yeshua walked and revealed the kingdom. People saw the kingdom as he performed that which he knew was his father's will. So what do we have the ability to do? The same today. We can demonstrate. The, the will of the Father on the earth, therefore the kingdom can be revealed through our Through actions. our behaviors and yes, actions. Absolutely. That's the big difference. Absolutely. So when you're, when you're preaching a gospel of king and kingdom coming to earth, right, the hearers of this message 
will respond quite differently than if you're preaching about escaping earth and going to heaven. Right. Okay. The standard response to what I call more standard Christian version of the gospel is kind of a one and done deal. Make a confession of sin, mentally assent to the idea that Jesus died so that I can go to heaven. That's where we get that idea of once saved, always saved. This is very different to a gospel that says repent and prepare the way for a king and a kingdom that actually is right here at the, your doorstep. You, you right know, here. it's right here. The king is here. It, it has a, it causes the hearers, like I said, to, to be motivated for different things yes. to do. Um, and I would say the first message, the more standard Christian I, uh, message of, of gospel actually doesn't motivate us to do much beyond saying that confession of faith. And then we don't necessarily have to do anything else because we've already gotten into heaven. Right. That's very different than saying, okay, repent. Number one, that means teshuva, make a turn, right? And now start doing things like the king. It's it's very different. It, it is very, very, very different. And I, I just want to think about it in terms of what our audience would could relate to scripturally. We had we have John the immerser, John known as John the Baptist, John the, the baptizer. He was preparing the way for the king, right? He, he knew he had to represent the king. He had to behave in such a way to bring people to repentance and get them to follow the, the, the king. Now, they didn't necessarily recognize him, Yeshua, as king at the time, but that was his job. Right. We have a similar mission. Now, Yeshua has gone to sit at the right hand of the Father, but he was here. And he showed us the way. He gave us an example. Now we have an opportunity to represent him in that same way. We can prepare the way for his return by getting people to understand the kingdom. And, you know, I, all, all I can speak for now is in my case, I have an, uh, an opportunity to remove obstacles from, from, the, from his people, the Jewish people, getting back to the land of Israel. One of, one of the things that we were told by Yeshua is that we would not see him again. Until. Until, right? They, the, the Jewish people, Matthew 23, verse 39, he wants to hear, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. How is he going to hear that so he can return if the Jewish people are not back in the land of Israel and in Jerusalem, okay? So putting all of his words together... I, we can identify what we can do to remove obstacles, to prepare the way for the king, okay? That's kingdom thinking. That's doing now what we can do to prepare people for the kingdom versus this idea, oh, I'm out of here. I've, I've secured my salvation. I'm going to heaven um, and then, you know, and it's a, it's a noble thing to get other people to, to want to, to come to know the Lord. But if, if our motivation is just, again, escaping hell and going to heaven, then we're missing all the things that we have an opportunity to do to partner with God, as we, our tagline is, partner with God today on the earth to prepare the kingdom. I think that's a really good ex uh, comparison 
uh, you're, you're talking about the, the bringing of the, the Jewish people home as part of that preparation for mm-hmm. the, ki- the kingdom. So removing obstacles. Right. Maybe that's what you and I are doing in this podcast so. is removing obstacles yeah. to, that keep people from understanding kingdom and preparing for the kingdom. Amen. Okay. I, if I the gospel message that. is prepare for the kingdom then we would want to remove obstacles that keep yes. us, which would be misunderstandings, um, uh, lies, things that, yeah, that aren't true. Uh, just uh, getting those out of the way. Amen. I mean, I, you know, I, we're, we're both busy people and this, this podcast is something that we feel important enough to take our time to do, to prepare people to understand what we're, what we're talking about. As you said, I love that, you know, using that same example, removing obstacles of understanding, misunderstanding, removing, removing the, the misconceptions, the lies that are, that are, that are taught, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Exactly. And some of that comes in the form of, like you said, misunderstanding understanding of history. Some yeah. of it comes in the under, uh, misunderstanding of the original Hebrew words. Yes. You know, I had a Sukkot party this past weekend, and the theme was kingdom, a king and a kingdom. And I wrote a skit because that's what I do, and <laughs> people are in do. costume, and it's very immersive, and all the audience is involved. And we had a king up there, and we... Everything the king did. Now, this the skit, the skit was King Oshkosh, and he had a kingdom. <laughs> and everything the king did, the audience, the citizens did exactly like the king did. So the king had a song, and he taught the audience, the citizens, the song. The king had certain behaviors uh, that he had. He loved furry little animals, and he was petting a furry little animal. Then everybody <laughs> got... Well, this was a stuffed animal. Okay, right, right. <laughs> I didn't have forty furry little animals in my in my living room, but um, so everybody did the same things that the kingdom uh, that the king did. Uh, in one scene in the in the in the skit, a citizen, a reporter asked a citizen, "What do you think about riding a bicycle on Tuesday morning?" And the citizen answered what she had just heard the king say. I do not think that riding a bicycle on Tuesday morning is proper. So the good citizen um, role, that person said, I do not think that riding a bicycle on Tuesday morning is proper because that's a recognition that what the citizen thought doesn't really matter is what the king thought. That is, okay, talk about obstacles to remove. There's an obstacle that we have, particularly as Americans, that our opinion matters in a kingdom it doesn't. It Let's doesn't. get that no. obstacle right. out of the right. way. Get, right? away, get it off the <laughs> table right away that we know better. Exactly. Know? The other thing that was totally interesting to see, Gary, and you you, you know this, I, the other game we played was like a telephone game. Mm. And I started off with three king's decrees, and they were statements. And, you know, it was about every Tuesday and Saturday you had to clean your cars and wash your dogs. And that started off in the in the telephone game as it right. got passed down um, but the f- and it was so funny to hear it went to 10 people right the decree went to 10 people by the time it got to number 10 it was so far off I couldn't even stand up straight when I was when when people were telling me because I was laughing so hard <laughs> at how far off it had gotten yep and, and it was hilarious and, and the one that you had was the funniest because we were talking about obstacles as far as language barriers yeah. okay so I had one where I came up with a statement and 
and I, I don't know if I can quite remember it, but it was um, the conveyance of all canines to the pre-cosmogonical realm is certain. So I'm whispering that to the first person, and they're looking at me like, what? Because they didn't know the word pre-cosmogonical, and I was saying it in a way that they weren't familiar with. What I, that statement meant is all dogs go to heaven. Right. Okay, but I was saying it in a language, quote-unquote, that they didn't know. So now... You start with a language they don't know, and then you pass it down 10 generations. Gary was the 10th generation, and that statement became what? Cosmopol cosmetologist direct. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, that was because I actually had the one with the, with the car wash. Uh, okay, well, it's but that's okay. But no, you're absolutely right. It was awful. I mean, it, that one didn't make it past the first person. No. Before it got misinterpreted. And and no, mine 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 was the same way. By the time it got to me, it we, we met, it was completely different. And you you were like, what? I know. I I said I couldn't stand up. I was laughing so hard. But that one about cosmetologist direct, I was laughing so hard because once again, what I was trying to do was just show that when you start in a different language, okay, different language, different culture, passed down ten generations, yes. you're going to get a whole different message than what the king decreed. Exactly. That was what was on my mind earlier when I was talking about, I couldn't remember where we had talked about it, but you're right. It was the, it was the Sukkot party. It was that translation issue or that being passed down culture problems, language problems. Here we are 2000 years removed from the original culture and language. It's no wonder People don't have the right picture in mind, but that's why we're here. Right. And so instead of embracing the truth and finding ways to, to uncover the original meaning, the original language, original culture, uh, we're in the, the reason why we're having this podcast is because, no, instead we're criticized for some type of legalistic movement or something right. of that nature. Right. And, so, and you're going to talk about yes. some of the other things that were, that yeah. were called. So, yeah, I think we should. I think you clearly, clearly stated there how how far we've come, or you demonstrated, I should say, in the, yeah. in the party, how far we can come from what was initially meant by the by the word, and where we are today. And that's simply what we're trying to do. Yes. And and so you add in also not only how far have we come, but the imposing of a completely different culture on top of it in a different language, this Greek idea, yeah. Greek culture, Greek language, which is what the church has been, which is a very, very different. We've spoken many times from you know about this from the Hebrew culture. So not only have you lost a Hebrew culture, you've added a Greek culture. So now you've gotten so far away that once again, I, I didn't even think of it as a theme of trying to get rid of obstacles for today's podcast, but I like it so much. That's what I'm going to use okay. is that we're back to trying to get rid of those obstacles in how we understand the word as it was originally written Amen. and what it's supposed to mean. Amen. So, okay. So another difference that I, um, that I see between standard Christianity and, and the Hebrew roots movement is the Christian emphasis on freedom, the, 
I'm free. We have freedom in Christ. You hear it all the time. And it's kind of like I can now do whatever I want because I'm going to heaven anyway. And I'm not saying that people would say, oh, I can murder or, or, you know. Or, you know, some of the other well, big ten, slope, but it's a slippery slope. And that's what we've identified, too, yeah. because often that allows you to pick and choose the commandments that you're you're willing and able to o- obey or you think you're willing or able to obey. But so because we have freedom, mm-hmm. we have freedom to make those choices opposed to that. Or let's not let's say let's just say a difference in the, uh, the Hebrew roots movement is. We we understand freedom, but we understand it differently, and I'm going to explain that. But also, we have an emphasis not on freedom, but on obedience. Amen. And obedience in the church is kind of a dirty word. Nobody really is comfortable with that idea. And 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 yet, it's why is that? I mean, I'm going to. Can I read mm-hmm. from the red letters? Yes, you really may. <laughs> of course, of course. Yes, <laughs> because you may. Because why Gary. would obedience be? A, a bad word, and it is when we hear we read this, and this is Yeshua. If you're more comfortable, Jesus, the red letters of John, chapter 14, verse uh, 15, starting with. And I'm going to read a few verses because I want to keep all this in context because it'll address another issue that we often mm-hmm. hear. But it said, Yeshua said, If you love me, keep my commandments. All right, there's obedience right, right there, straightforward, no doubt. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, and he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you." A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And it is he who loves me will will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now that is all about obedience. That's all about keeping the commandments. And I'll add, if you if you're listening, because one of the arguments is always, no, we're led by the Spirit. Spirit. What does Jesus say here? If you're keeping my commandments, my spirit or my father's spirit, the the Holy Spirit, Spirit. as we we call him, the Spirit of God will dwell with you. And guide you and, help and you. direct you and help you to do my will and my commandments. There's the freedom. There, he will help you to understand how to navigate this world keeping my commandments. Not the Spirit of God telling you something contrary to the, to the Word of God. Absolutely. It is completely, yes. completely impossible for the Spirit of God to tell you to do something contrary to the Word of God. I think that this concept of freedom is probably more one that is um, maybe spoken in America because we're all about freedom in America, you know, um, and so it might be even harder some other Hebraic concepts, I think, are also hard because of in America, we think very differently from that. But, you know, 
in the Hebrew Roots movement, freedom is understood as because of God's grace, we're free from servitude to anything or anyone else except the God of Israel. We're free to serve the one true God. Just like what you when Yeshua's words were saying there is now we can choose mm-hmm. to obey. And when we choose that, the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. Right. right? You know, so so and even then, I believe, and I think those of us in the Hebrew Roots movement mostly believe that uh, we still have a choice, but the spirit is there to help. We don't always follow that spirit. Okay, but that spirit's never going to tell us anything different than the word says. We still have that choice within each of us um, about whether to follow or not. We have, you know, so, but the freedom is we're not slaves to something or someone else. That's right. That's a different understanding of freedom. Uh, We're free to be servants to the Most High God. Wow. What a what a that's a beautiful freedom. Exactly, but but there's a paradigm shift. <laughs> it, it is, it is. Sadly, uh, it should and shouldn't be. But you know, you, when here's where I thought you were going to go with that uh-huh. play on on uh, uh, Sukkot mm-hmm. that you did. I I when you first started the 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 the, uh, the play, I was thinking of the example that one of our favorite teachers, Skip Moen used many years ago talking about the uh, Masai tribe. You remember this? You you're talking about if you're um, if you're going to be a part, or if you're going to listen to the king, that you do as the king said. Well, one of the things that were, were criticized uh, and you were going to you were going to bring up was the idea that um, this is all about Jewish fetish or an arbitrary mm-hmm. following. Well, first of all, I just explained that we're keeping the God's commandments. And secondly, it's if if this is who his family is, don't we act like his family? The 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 Maasai tribe example was this. If you were to be dropped into this Maasai tribe, they they have this belief that cattle was a form of of currency. And that all cattle belongs to them, right? So if you see a, a, a cow walking down the road, you can go grab it. It belongs to you. This is the example Skip gave. Right. And it sounds a little silly, but if you were going to be part of that tribe, that was the expectation. Well, it's the same with us. If we're going to be part of God's family, there is an expectation, a certain behavior for us to be to 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 know that we belong to this this family so it's it may seem foreign to our worldly thinking it is foreign but it is what god expects so if we're going if we want to be part of his tribe part are the children of god then we need to behave this way. That's an expectation. You know, and, that, and that's exactly right. Where I wanted to go next uh, with these differences that, that I'm identifying is you're calling it an expectation. Um, let's talk in terms of culture, okay? Right. The king's culture, right? Um, the culture of the church is historically very Hellenistic or Greek, right. okay? And um, it cut, you know, then when it was centered in the Roman Empire, it still it was all those Greek influences, but it was it's it's 
it's it's very Greek. The culture of the Hebrew roots movement is, well, Hebrew. Okay, right. <laughs> okay, right. Exactly. Um, and these two worldviews are often diametrically opposed. So it does seem foreign. So when we're saying, you mentioned, and we've mentioned before, when we've listened to um, other podcasters and they've identified those in the Hebrew Roots movement as having a Jewish fetish, or they adhere to, these podcasters said, arbitrary Jewishness. You know, it's, it's not arbitrary. Gary and I didn't pick the Jewish people. Exactly. Okay. God picked the Jewish people. We didn't choose who we needed to be grafted into to become part of the covenant with God. God chose that we have to be grafted into the olive tree of Israel. Amen. So it's not an arbitrary picking that, that we're doing. We're once again, we're trying to remove all the obstacles that got in the way from where we were supposed to be at the very beginning that we've moved so far away from. But Gary and I didn't come up with this idea. I'm amazed they could use, and maybe they misused it, but arbitrary? Yeah, it was arbitrary. This was God's choice. Right, arbitrary Jewishness. Yeah. So there's, I can't think of anything God did that was arbitrary. I think if we go throughout the entire word, Genesis to Revelation, there's nothing arbitrary. There was a reason. He doesn't always give us every reason for why he chose the Jewish people. And in fact, it it says, I forget who said it. In Deuteronomy, he says, you're not because you're the greatest or the best. Because you're the smallest. It's because you're the smallest. <laughs> you're the least. I, you know. And okay. that's a, that's a pattern of scripture because he he oh, remember Gideon's army. He shrunk Gideon's army so that right. he would receive the glory. Right. Same I think with the Jewish people. He could have chosen a great you know many king, a huge kingdom. And and you and I have would have maybe made a different choice. Well, of course <laughs> we would have gone with whatever God chose. Right. right. Well, exactly. We are now. But if we had been God, maybe we would have made a different choice. But we're okay. not. And, and this was his reasons. And as the king, so be it. Okay? So be it. The, this is the fundamental problem with Christianity in this form, that it ignores. You brought up Romans 11, 17, mm-hmm. grafted in. Much of Christianity ignores Romans 11, the grafting process, and Ephesians 2, the being part of the commonwealth of Israel. When you ignore that, you can then you can make statements, silly statements like this about it somehow being arbitrary or a Jewish fetish. No, this is how God set it up. He said we are grafted into the olive tree. He said we're part of the commonwealth of Israel. We didn't make that up. That's right. You know, the, on the podcast, these guys said, they were talking about arbitrary Jewishness. And they said, if someone gets saved in the ghetto, that person doesn't have to start wearing a suit and tie. Hmm. I agree with that. They don't, right? Right. But I, but I would say they do need to start walking as Yeshua walked, okay? Amen. And if something about the way they're dressing or presenting themselves in the ghetto is not in alignment with Yeshua's culture, the kingdom culture, then they do need to make some adjustments. Uh, oh, absolutely. Okay? Uh, so I'm, I'm not saying you have to become something you're not culturally in that Oh, I've got to change. Gary's got to, you know, dye his hair and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something like that. But there is a, but there is a cultural ex- expect, there is a culture connected 
to the king. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I was listening to to the uh, Glenn Black program today. Uh, you, well, we're all very proud of your daughter, Michaela, <laughs> and, and the writing that she's doing there. Um, and Skip Moen, one of our favorite teachers, was on there. And he, I listened carefully to the way he was describing something, and he was talking about the history of God's people falling away and then having to come back, falling away, come back. And you know what? He didn't say the Jewish people fell away. He didn't say, you know, God's people. He said, we. I was listening carefully. It was so cool. When I I think of this concept, he said, we. You know, we got taken into Babylon. We, we, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm now paraphrasing, right. but we were taken by Assyria or Babylon. Mm-hmm. We then were conquered by Rome. That is a different way of looking at it. You know, I've, I've listened to, uh, we have a mutual friend who's Jewish, and I've, heard, he lives in the United States, but I'll hear him talk about Israel as we. Well, of course, he's Jewish, and so he mm-hmm. has a right to do that. But even though he doesn't live in Israel. Mm-hmm. But we ought to start thinking about this history that we read in Scripture as our history. Yes. Because we are grafted into it. We failed God and came back. We had these problems. So stop thinking of Christianity as something different, separate, new, and better. No, it's it what who we are sprang out of this movement that Yeshua started in returning us back to his father. And and it, and it also goes back to, here's the same thing. We have fallen away, so we need to come back. And yeah. that's what, just what we're saying now. Exactly. We have fallen away as our ancestors did, Amen. and they came back. And we've fallen away again. What's what's What makes us think that we haven't? Right. I mean, right, that would be rather arrogant sure. for us to think that, oh, they kept falling away. No, 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 no. <laughs> we fall away. Yes. You know, I think a lot of the concern about Jewishness uh, within the church can be traced back to the idea that most Christians believe that the Jews are under the law and Christians are under grace. They see Christians see God's grace as a new thing. But in the Hebrew Roots movement, we believe that God's grace has always been evident. It's not new. It's just true. Amen. I mean, you know, I'm going to repeat this again, Kathy. I know I've said it before. We're going to. I'm going to give you, give our audience the the concordance numbers, twenty five eighty. The word chen is the word for grace, for favor. It comes from the root word, and I'll give you that twenty six o three. It is chana. Conan, excuse me, and it is to bend as a superior, to sp- to bend over to an inferior. This is, there is no one greater, no one more, uh, you know, in, in greater power as our, our superior than God, and he bends over to us, the inferior. That's exactly what he did with Abraham when he started the restoration process, bringing mankind back to himself, reconciling mankind back to himself, he approached Abraham, not the other way around. It's always been about grace. And also, you know, I'll say that it's always been about grace. It's from Genesis all the way on, even into Revelation. Mm -hmm. And 
I'll say it's also always been about Torah too. Okay, Amen. all the way straight the through. Through, mm -hmm. and we've had blinders on to think that that it's one or the other. It's not a one or the other deal. It's it's all God yes. is all. He did not change. It, it, it nothing changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I th I think this is also okay, well. What I see is another person. I'll call it a perceived mm -hmm. difference between the church and the Hebrew Roots Movement is that many in the church think that those of us in the Hebrew Roots Movement believe we can earn our way into heaven through our good works. These podcasters said no one is justified by the law. And then they quoted Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Gary, we agree with that. We totally agree we with totally that. We totally agree with that. That, that, <laughs> that is an, another one of those huge misconceptions, as you said. I, I recently posted this in a social media post. Torah, described by some as law, is simply an act of fulfilling the will of the beloved. Period. We're, we believe we're here by grace, and now we want to do what the beloved wants us to do. Exactly. We do not... I know we've said this many times, but we do not follow Torah in order to be saved. We follow it because we are Amen. saved. We've said it many, 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 many times. And still, that is what we get accused of all the time. Or even if it's not accused, it's what people are afraid of. Yeah, I think I think they're afraid of that and this idea that somehow we're going to denounce Yeshua, Jesus. Right, exactly, exactly. And 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 we are not going to do it. I cannot account for every single person in the Hebrew Roots Movement and what they're going to do or not do, just like Christians can't account for everyone in the church and That's what they're right. going to do and not do. But we've been in this movement long enough. We've been familiar with it, with a lot of the leadership of this movement. Um, that's not happening in mass in any no, anyway. No. Anyway, it's I'm not. I'm sure you can cite examples, and I and I've I just read recently about an example uh, of a messianic movement that they, a, a group that did this following their pastor. That's their decision. It's mm -hmm. not. That is not the movement that we're talking about here. That is that is an individual congregation making a decision that. I don't agree with and, right. and, and, that. I've, and I've, I would say the majority of the people in the Hebrew roots movement do not they agree do not. with. We you go to messianic it. synagogues. Right. It's all about Yeshua. He's the Messiah. It, it doesn't seem all that. that different from going to a church, except for they're saying Yeshua. Right. right? Okay. Right. And then they're name. quoting more from Torah, right. but it's still about Yeshua. I think Christians are afraid that if they go into one of these Hebrew roots churches or something, everybody's going to try to pull you away from Yeshua. Gary, <sighs> That is not my experience in the no. Hebrew Roots congregations that I've been in Never. in way, any way, shape, or form. In fact, there's I would say there's even a more intense love for Yeshua because they're understanding him as the fulfillment of Torah and how great God's plan has been from start to end I would agree related with that. to that. I would agree with that. I think there's a more intense, because of the understanding leads to, uh, a, I think, a greater humility and, and love for the, the God that we serve. And, of course, there's going to be examples of people doing this, but how many examples in Christian 
the Christian world, standard Christian world, have people left the church? Yes, and fallen away, and or falling whatever away. You yes. So don't don't use that yes. example, please, because I think you're going to find it far worse in the church right now. Exactly, as far as sheer numbers, absolutely, absolutely. You know, another difference is that the tur- the church teaches that the law or the Torah is a heavy yoke. The podcaster said, Christ freed us from the yoke placed on us by the law. Now, while most Christians have been taught that the law is the heavy burden or heavy yoke, those of us in the Hebrew Roots movement know that the law, the Torah, is not the yoke. Right. The curse of the law is the yoke. So the heavy yoke. So Galatians 3, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of of the law, not mm-hmm. from the law, right? By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is anyone who's hung on a pole. So what this means to those of us in this movement is that Christ died so that we don't face the second death, that lake of fire that's described in Revelation 20. Exactly. Okay. The second death is the curse of the law. Sin leads to death, right? Exactly. And someone has to pay the penalty. That's what Yeshua did. He paid the penalty by being the perfect sinless sacrifice. And his resurrection gives us hope that we too will overcome the second death. The curse is not God's Torah, God's instructions, his perfect instructions. The curse of the law was that sin leads to death. There, That's it. No, no, simple as that. And the fact that, that, that Yeshua overcame death yes. for us. Yes. He paid the price and overcame death. That was the final victory, was, was death itself. Right. And that's, right. that's what the curse That's like. what the curse yeah. is. That's that, that final eternal death. That's quite a curse. Yeah. Right? God's instructions are not a curse. No, absolutely God's, not. God's manual for how to live. Yeah. And be human beings in his kingdom is not a curse. No, I, I love we, we've talked about this before about the, you know, the just the natural law, the natural consequences of our disobedience. He was just trying to keep us on the straight and narrow for our own good. And when we break his commandments, when we veer from that path, that's when we get in trouble. Right. You know, I you mentioned something earlier. Um This perceived dichotomy between law and grace leads to another kind of difference between the church and the Hebrew roots movement that I saw reflected in these particular podcasters' beliefs. That is the role of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. Mm. They said we are all to be led by the Holy Spirit. Okay. But then they said the Holy Spirit works to eliminate the text of Scripture and make it come alive. Now, I cannot say that I even know exactly what that means, but I don't think the spirit eliminates the text. I, I could think I, I, I didn't quite know if I understood what they meant by that, but I think I know just based on some other comments, um, general comments and criticisms. And it's what you said before that the Holy, we're all to be guided by the Holy spirit. Well, not the Holy spirit in opposition to God's word. Exactly. You just gave us the scriptures, the red letter words from Yeshua right. and, and what the spirit's purpose is to help us to be obedient. Exactly. And I, I think it, what I'm what I would interpret those words to mean, I think they're trying to say the letter versus the spirit. I think so. I think that's what they're trying to say. Well, again, 
Yeshua told showed, showed us what that means. You know, if if the if the letter of the the the, the law or the Torah, uh, the instructions tells you to, for example, to stay ceremonial clean, uh, and yet it also tells you that you you need to help your brother in need time of need. If you see your brother laying in a ditch, bleeding and dying. Forget about staying ceremonially clean and help him. This is the whole Good Samaritan. That's the spirit of the law, the spirit of Torah. And that, yet we get that spirit versus the letter. It's totally misunderstood. The spirit should help you to guide you to know what was the weightier truth Mm -hmm. there. What would be the more important? Both are true. But in this case, if it means your bro- your brother needs help, you help him and you become ceremonial and clean. Exactly. It's no different than the, the, the Shabbat, Sabbath laws. You don't work, but if you see your neighbor's donkey in a ditch, you get them out. Exactly. And that's work. That's not easy this to get a donkey what, out of a ditch This is what the ox. Spirit helps us to understand. <laughs> yes. That's what the Spirit versus the letter is all about. Yes. Not eliminating the text our instruction, just so that we can float around and, and listen to, to a, a spirit. Again, I'm telling you, if that spirit that you're listening to contradicts the Word of God, then you're listening to the wrong That's spirit, right. brother. That's right. Yeah. You know, another big difference I see between the Hebrew Roots Movement and the church is the difference of understanding about the topic of clean and unclean. I would say that basically the church does not talk, I'd say at all, about clean and unclean or distinguishing between the two. But folks, this theme of clean and unclean exists from Genesis in the Noah's Ark story, all the way through Revelation, not just in terms of animals, but in terms of what is appropriate for God's people to touch, to participate in, to join themselves to. Now, if you don't remember clean and unclean in Noah's Ark, Go back to your Genesis story. If I ask you how many of each animal went in the ark and you say two, you're kind of right, but not completely right. Because you had two of all the unclean animals, but seven pairs of the clean animals because they were going to be used for a sacrifice. Right. Okay. So there was already a concept of clean and unclean and you go all the way to Revelation and you see that concept clearly in the book of Revelation. Now... Well, the podcast that I was listening to didn't get into the discussion of clean and unclean per se. The podcasters did go down what I thought was a really interesting trail that comes from from this clean and unclean discussion. And that is that they talked about how the Hebrew Roots Movement focuses on pagan origins of holidays. They called those who identify the pagan origins of the Christian holidays pseudo-historians. <laughs> now, I'm not really sure... How they define pseudo-historian, but I'm kind of thinking it's anybody who disagrees with them (laughs) that there are pagan origins to the holidays, but they did not say, to be fair. Now, we're not going into a discussion right now about the origins of Christmas and Easter because we would be here all day. But I think I can identify the big difference between the church and the Hebrew Roots Movement in relation to this topic. The church thinks that they can de-paganize something simply by believing in Christ. In other words, they think they can take what God has identified as clean and make it unclean. So, so let me give you an example. Many 
Christians think that just because they do not worship false gods, they can use the tools of pagan worship, let's say a Christmas tree or Easter bunnies, in the worship of the God of Israel, Jehovah. They think they have the ability to clean up or to sanctify, I've heard that word many times, Uh pagan or unclean things that God said to avoid. So I had a little fun, Gary. Uh, The podcasters actually quoted from a book that I guess that they liked called Reenchanting Time by Josh Robinson. So because I support the book industry, my husband said, (laughs) single-handedly, I decided I was going to purchase this very short book. Actually, it was very short. It was not expensive. So I read through it in a matter of like 15 minutes. And I will just share what was in the book. Oh, do tell. Okay, so here's a summary. This, okay. The sun, the moon, and the stars are the timekeepers of the old covenant. And now the church is the timekeeper of the new covenant. Okay, so I would agree that God used the, 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 the sun, the moon, and the stars to help us determine time and seasons. The Bible says that, right? But... Anyway, they made this kind of, I didn't follow the connections between the sun and the moon. And then somehow we're as Christians, the timekeepers. The, the time so, so quote, wow. we are now the Lords of time because we've been united to the Lord of time. The father of lights gives his sons the authority to mark the seasons. Timekeeping belongs to the church. Now it is for this reason that it is legitimate for the church to declare and observe holy days, page 43. Then the author went about explaining why it was important for the church to celebrate the five, he called them evangelical feast days, Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost. Then he said, we add in Advent with Christmas and Lent with Easter. And he says his church adds All Hallows Eve and All Saints Day. So, Not only was he arguing for Christmas and Easter, okay, which the Hebrew Roots Movement would not, but he was also arguing that Christians should celebrate Halloween. Okay. The author claimed that Halloween was never a pagan festival. It has always been distinctly Christian. Its origins in the old mother church. Right there, I would identify a problem we just said, is the origins are not in the Bible. The origins are in old mother church. I think that's a strange way to say that. But it identifies the problem, as you said. Yes. So there's an origin in the church. And he, so he was referring to, I know, the church holiday of All Hallows' Eve, which is the evening before All Saints' Day, which is a memorialization for the dead. Okay. So he's saying it's okay because it originated in Mother Church. And the Hebrew Roots Movement, we'd say that's not okay that originated in the church because it did not originate biblically. So I found it also very interesting. And I learned a word that I didn't know also, Gary. He said, well, he claimed that Halloween was distinct from the pagan festival of, okay, I always thought it was Samhain. It's pronounced Samhain. Okay. Okay. So the uh, the author of this book said he claimed that Halloween was distinct from this pagan festival of Samhain, which occurs at exactly the same time. He said he acknowledges that Samhain and Halloween share at least some connection points, such as dates, 
an emphasis on disguises or costumes and harvest decorations. But, the author said, the intention behind the practices is entirely different, and that's important. <laughs> okay, so wow. we're going to be kind, and we're going <laughs> to we're going to be kind. But I'm going to so I'll keep this I'll keep this as scriptural as I can. This identifies the problem completely. It's an admission of guilt, in my opinion, because here, here I'm, I've got my book, my Bible open to Deuteronomy. I'm not going to read it, but Deuteronomy chapter 12 talks about not worshiping me as the pagans do. That was a commandment that God made to his people, to our, our ancestors, if you will. Hey, to us. To us. Yes. To us. Uh, not to question how do these pagans do it? How do they worship Right, it their literally gods? says that in it the does. words. Well, like, don't ahead, ask. Go ahead and read it. Yeah. yeah. How did the nations serve their gods? Do I not. Will, I, will, I also will do likewise. Yeah, he said, don't, don't do, do that. that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't ask how they do it and, and then think that you can somehow sanctify it. So what I'm identifying here, what they've identified themselves is they're tracing their, their, their authority, if you will, the roots of this authority back to Mother Church and not to the scripture, as you just mentioned. So, you know, I did, a, I did remember years ago doing an entire demonstration about this, the, about the church. If you really want to, if, to trace your roots, if you're going to adhere to this type of thinking, you can only trace your roots back to, say, maybe 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea and the Constantinian Church. If you want to trace your roots back to God and his instruction, you've got to go all the way to Genesis. You got you, you let's say at least Abraham. At least Abraham. Because yes. this is where God starts this this restoration process. So this is an admission of where the problem lies. Right. You know, I, you know the expression that that we j joke about, but you know, this is the, a moment ago you said something about the the New Testament. They they said old covenant, new covenant. Right. Oh yeah, the summary in the summary you were talking about the timekeeper of the new covenant. Well, basically, they're saying, you know, they're a New Testament or New Covenant church, New Testament church. And as we know, mm -hmm. the two things that the New Testament church didn't have is the New Testament and, and the, the church. church. <laughs> there was no such thing. This was an, a, a, a group of individuals who returned to God thanks to their teacher, Yeshua, who brought them back and started this movement that we're still a part of. And so at that time, the New Testament didn't exist. Neither did the church. And so to trace your roots back to Mother Church means that somewhere along the way, 300, 400 years later, you've decided that's your that's root. That's your starting you're found point. Your starting point. Right. And that's wrong. Right. Well, it's, it's fine as long as you just recognize it. Okay, if that's well, what you want to choose, it. yes, I mean, if, if that's, that's what you choose, well, then they've chosen a religion, then they've chosen a religion, but just know that I think yeah. so. Once again, what we're trying to do here is if that's what you want, fine. Just know what you're choosing. Know what you're choosing. Just and, know what you're choosing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's just like, okay, I think that that's what I get, what I get. Uh, concerned about yeah. is a lot of people 
choose this without knowing. They well, don't it is know. Ignorance. Yes, I yes. I see a, very, a great lack of his history, his, knowledge of history, yeah. <laughs> whatever that word is, <laughs> knowledge of history and and the word of God. Here. You know, so I I was immediately thinking of the golden calf story when I I, I heard him say this or I read this. You know. Their intentions. He was talking about intentions. Mm -hmm. the, the Israelites intended to use the calf as part of their worship of the God of Israel. That's what they said. This yeah. we're going to have a holiday for you, oh Yahweh. Uh huh. Uh, that didn't work out so well for it them. Didn't work out well for them. Didn't work out well for Jeroboam either. No. You know, it, the, 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 the intentions. Nation. I mean, that's why he said the road to hell is paved with good intentions, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So, but you know, you know but Kathy, it really boils down to is is self. They wanted to do this. Moses, Moses, we don't know what happened to him. We can't wait. We want to party now. Right now. Right now. Yes, we can't wait. Yeah. You know, in this book, I, I I don't know if I should have picked on this guy in this book, but <laughs> but. I just can't help here, myself. Right? Yes, he if wrote, wrote, he wrote a, book, a book. If you wrote a book, he's right. public. He, so he claimed that the church had the authority to bless, baptize, or burn anything it came in contact with in the pagan world. Bless, baptize, or burn. Mm. So he said, quote, In practice, when Christianity encountered pagan thought that is true, it blessed it and accepted it. For all truth is God's truth. When it encountered pagan thought that could be redeemed and used to extend the lordship of Christ... It baptized it and accepted it. When it encountered pagan thought that could not be blessed or redeemed, it burned it and did not accept it. Page 78. <sighs> the problem is when it, when the church, yes. when they found something that they wanted to keep. And who's the they? The, the guys in charge that year or the yeah, guy in charge exactly. the next it's year? This is, this is arbitrary. This is arbitrary, this yes. This is the real definition. This is what some, the, the, whoever was in charge, as you said, or some synod, you know, some council, mm -hmm. they decided, not based and, on the And what I'm reading in church history is 10 years later, the next council decides the exact opposite. Exactly. And 10 years later, the next council decides the exact Reinstated. opposite. Yeah, because yeah. why not? It's mm -hmm. just man-made stuff. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of executive orders from the president. One president puts in one <laughs> yeah. set of orders. The next one undoes those, puts in the next set. The next one yeah. undoes those. It That's all arbitrary. Same, same concept. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, this concept of bless, baptize, or burn is actually kind of common in the church, at least the baptizing part. It manifests itself in the form of, I know the pagan origins of, I don't know, fill in the blank, but now I'm using it to worship the true God. Right. So I think I can safely say that the Hebrew Roots Movement does not believe that we human beings, even those of us who belong to Christ, have the authority to make what is unholy, holy, or what is unclean, clean. That authority resides only in the Father. We do not believe that we, the church, Christians, have the authority to abolish God's holy days and replace them with church holy days. That is a difference between the Hebrew Roots Movement and more standard Christianity. And I'm not saying that all Christians believe exactly like this guy does. No, I, I'm no. not saying that either. But but I've heard that kind of thinking over and over. And so it, it is in there. It's in the mix. Oh, we, we've heard this. The, every, the Like I said in the beginning, and I think you did mention it as well, there was nothing new 
in the argument that we heard in the podcast. We've heard these things over and over. It is a standard argument within Christianity against the Hebrew Roots Movement. I, I, I just believe that we are, we are trying to seek out the, the origins of our faith, the, the, the truth, the best of our ability. The not, it's all there, especially in the age of the Internet. Anybody could look these things up, and I think there's no excuse for us to, to make our way through to the truth. You know, I'm going to bring it to conclusion. By no means have we identified all the differences between the traditional church and the Hebrew Roots Movement. But despite what seems to be many differences between the traditional church and the Hebrew Roots Movement, the ironic thing is we both agree on something that is very important. Jesus, or we call him Yeshua, is the center point of the gospel message. All of God's words point us to him. Now, this is a significant point of agreement and one that we should always keep in mind. I believe that we must be cautious in labeling our brothers and sisters in the faith as heretics. We must be slow to label anyone who disagrees with us as belonging to a cult. In Christianity alone, we have tens of thousands of denominations. Does this mean that there are tens of thousands of cults and somehow we have found the congregation with all the truth? Highly unlikely. I admit that those of us who have come out of the traditional church often find ourselves in the same place as the ex-smoker. Just as the ex-smoker is the harshest critic of those who continue to smoke, those of us in the Hebrew Roots Movement are the harshest critics of those who remain in the more traditional church. On both sides of the aisle, we're quick to critique and slow to grace and mercy, but thankfully our Heavenly Father is patient and full of grace and mercy. As with every other aspect of our lives, we need to become more like Him. But that being said, Gary and I will continue in the ministry God has given to us to do the restoration work necessary to prepare the way for the returning King, Yeshua, which we know includes discarding the traditions of men and restoring God's people to God's instructions in the Torah. It's all we can do because that is what our king has commanded us to do. Restoration work is not easy. Just ask anyone who's ever tried to restore anything, even an old piece of furniture. But restoring something to its original glory is always satisfying and rewarding. Those of us in the Hebrew Roots Movement are in the restoration business, and we look forward to the final product, the final revelation of God's kingdom as it was intended to be here on earth. We invite all of God's people to participate in this work with us. Shalom, everybody. Shalom. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.